0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at We Are Libertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at We Are Libertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle, and I am so happy to get to talk to this guy. He's one of my favorite human beings. He's one of the most beloved libertarians. We're so fortunate to have had him run for vice president because everyone got to know the sparkling personality and the memed face of Spike Cohen. How are you, Spike?
1: I'm doing well. My face has seen better days. Um it is uh, I'm not sure why <laughs> my face is so memeable and why it gets put on everything. I'm told that this is how I end up in the White House, um, and and I I don't at this point I don't I I'm just letting the kids do what they do. But thank you so much for having me on.
0: Absolutely, the the We Are Libertarians podcast network was built on the back of co host memeing this face. So you 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 know there Chrissy you Wickers is doing you a favor because if uh, o- Orange Man Bad or Orange Man Good can meme his way to the White House, why not Spike Cohn? He is the host of The Muddy Waters of Freedom, My Fellow Americans, and The Culture of Winning. You can find all his podcasts at MuddyWatersOfFreedom.com. I – you know, there's a phenomenon. This is my third – fourth fourth cycle as a Libertarian Party uh, member watching the the election cycle, and after every presidential campaign – libertarians love to run to all the reasons that it was horrible. (laughs) There's the cynical strain of libertarians drives me crazy and makes me cynical too. And so, you know, I I invited you on because I wanted to talk about some of the good stuff of the Joe Jorgensen spike cone campaign, because I'll start with the thing that I saw that was most recognizable as a bright spot in that campaign. And it was the bus tours. You know, we had, begged Russ Verney and the Bob Barr folks to come to Indiana and they it just didn't fit their strategy. Both campaigns with Gary Johnson. It just, they came to Indiana a couple of times, but you know, it just didn't fit their strategy. I saw Joe and Spike and their bus in Indiana. I don't even know how many times I lost count. Yeah. There were so many times. And I know that you guys did that in so many other States. And that was incredibly helpful in getting media. You guys got more media than normal. Um, you know, it, can you talk about the bus tour, why that was started, and and what did you see in that tour?
1: So the bus tour was born of the idea that libertarians often run a strategy, uh, an election strategy at the top of the ticket where they go to a handful of cities, usually major metro areas. They do whatever beltway media or or major media they can do. They ignore the the usual path that candidates for office take especially on a national scale of going around the country. Some of it's because of cost, but some of it's because of, just, and I guess it's a resource allocation thing, but some of it's just a predisposition towards spending that money on big national stuff. Um, and, uh, and then we still get low single digits. So what was the point? What we recognized very early on was that our likelihood of winning was essentially nil. We were really, the, the top of the of the ticket, the top of the ballot for libertarians, at least for now, is to spread a message of liberty and to try to get as much attention as possible. But we can also focus that attention on people who are likely to win their races in, in local and regional races. And the best way we can do that is to go around the country and get that local and regional media, because even though national media largely ignored us until the last couple of weeks of the election, the local and region, regional media is starved for something to talk about so they'd be more than happy to interview you or come out to your event or whatever else and so and in doing that then we can showcase all of the down ballot down uh, ballot candidates who come out to also speak and to also give their thoughts and everything else we can help raise money for local candidates and all of that stuff so that's what that came from and and you know a bus tour was a way of really i, I honestly when i first heard bus tour i'm like we're gonna drive on a bus. Wouldn't it be easier to fly around? But I didn't realize, and I, and I did very early on to the bus tour. When people see that big blue bus show up, and it's got you know Jorgensen Cohen on it, or in the future, whatever whatever the next candidate is on it, they can they can take the pictures on the by the bus, and they can take bus selfies, and they can you know promote it on social media and say, hey, look, the bus is coming. It actually does get more uh, media attention. It's different than just someone flying in and taking a cab to the event. It's it, there is some or, or or a rental car to the event. There's something about showing up. In a giant, you know, I think fifty foot bus or whatever. Uh, also, I fell in love with the bus because it was really nice inside. But <laughs> so um, we had know.
0: we had a R- Rupert when he ran for governor here in two thousand and twelve had an RV wrapped with his face, and it was Rupert from Survivor. So he was he already had. Like fifty percent name ID, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah. like we get on our Twitter like these incredibly dangerous photos of people hanging out of cars, taking picture of there goes Rupert. Like it, it there really is something <laughs> about that that is an interesting phenomenon where they people yeah. who identify with that person or cause go, holy cow, there's the thing. Let me take a picture of it. So, you know what? What I know that I I, I saw it. We had four hundred people or more show up to see Joe speak. And that helped uh, the down ballot candidates did a couple interviews when she was in town. So did you. Um, And that really helped the local party gather a bunch of names and get some, you know, when Gary came to town, we had 200. So it was, it was a doubling. Um, Was our experience here in Indianapolis consistent with other states? Were there states that you focused on more than others? I mean, What did you personally uh, drop in and do a lot of times?
1: I was all over the place. So we did a total of I think 48 states between uh, Joe and I. I think the only states we didn't visit, I always forget the second one. We weren't able to go to Hawaii only because of their of their quarantine restrictions. If mm. we had gone there, we would have had to stay put in a room for, for 2 weeks and that just that wasn't viable <laughs> to be able to do that. And then the other state was I believe it was either Idaho or Wyoming or it was a, it was a it was a western mountain state that we weren't able to get to. We visited every other state in most cases, multiple times. I myself visited 35 states and did something like 75 campaign stops. I was in Indiana twice. Um, so really, I mean, Indiana was definitely one we hit a lot. Um, but we really we were everywhere. We we were in, like I said, I was in 35 states and I was at the bottom of the ticket. Um, and, uh, you know, we most states we went to at least twice and uh, in some states we went to multiple times. Um, and especially like some of the so-called Rust Belt states, Indiana, Ohio, uh some of the higher population states, Florida, uh, New York, California. We had multiple events in, but we really most states got at least usually most states got 35 of the 50 states got both of us. And uh, you know, it was uh it was a uh, it was a pretty incredible thing. And and the most important thing was going into it. The person that 's running for tax assessor or you know city council or mayor or or even governor for 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 Don rainwater they had much better chances of winning their races or at least placing much higher than libertarians. You know, we went into this knowing that unless lightning struck a thousand times in the same spot, we were likely to get low to middle single digits. So it was best to focus whatever leverage we could get from media, both local and national towards the race. filter it down to the races where we can actually win and also focus on growing the party. The the party membership grew by almost 50% last year. And, uh, I certainly can't, you know, Joe and I can't take all credit for that, but I, I certainly think that us working in concert with grassroots activists at the state and local level was a major contributor to that many people growing. The number of people who registered Libertarian grew by almost 10%, even once you factored in, factored in that there were some states that completely disenrolled all their Libertarian, all their third party uh, registered voters. Um, so we we had some major gains there. We got the one Almost one and a half percent instead of three percent, which, you know, that's sad, but it also really doesn't matter. It's still single low single digits. And until we grow the party at the grassroots level enough where we can viably, you know, contest that that race or at least have a shot in hell of getting on the debate stage, then ultimately the most important thing we can do in that position is to help the candidates who actually have a shot of winning and that's that's what we tried our best to do
0: people often look at this like you've got to have a strong top of ticket and that 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 presidential candidate will pull you because that's what people think really it's grassroots up you know the in in my experience what i what i've seen in the libertarian party and and other you know here in indiana we have a lot of affiliated counties We have even more thanks to don rainwater there's upwards of 50 new county parties in a in a state of 92 i mean so uh they have now because they have over 50 county party uh, uh, that are affiliated the opportunity to recruit so many more candidates exponentially increases exactly you know now that came on the back of of a gubernatorial candidate but it really happened because there were Several dozens of longtime party activists that were ready to turn those people into new party activists. I mean, and one of the my favorite things when I was executive director was driving to a new county party to talk to people because I just like to go out and talk to new libertarians, people that were interested. Right. Like when you were out traveling these states and just talking to people, what was the kind of the themes that jumped out of you out to you as you talked to new libertarians at these events?
1: New libertarians usually were the ones who were the most disgusted with the way things were going and who were the most angry at, you know, the fact that most people think that the answer is, or most voters think that the answer is either Donald Trump or Joe Biden or, you know, Republican or Democrat, you know, remember what it was like when you finally realized it was all a scam, right? And that right. There, there was that, that the republicrats a republicrat was a republicrat was a republicrat, and that sort of white hot anger that you felt from that. So, but with that anger often came hope and and a thought that well if they're the scam we just have to let people know that they're the scam and then that and then we can we can you know go in and replace them and and do all the things that we want to do and so you know the other thing that i saw a lot was we intentionally for for our, for I don't know as much with, with Joe's because we weren't as involved with Joe's marketing for, for her events, but in our events, we did everything we could to try to bring in people who weren't already libertarian. We would have local people go and talk with, you know, interest groups that were, you know, like uh, local uh, activist groups and things like that. Uh, even just local community engagement groups that weren't libertarian. They may agree with us on some stuff, but they weren't libertarian. We'd also try to pick areas, like, because we had to do it outside anyway because of COVID and, and, and the and the lockdowns in some states. Um, we would try to do it in a heavily residential area. So, like, a park next to a major neighborhood or, or something like that. And if at all possible, we try to pick, like, the most marginalized area in an area. You know, instead of going into the ritzy part of town, if, there, if it's possible to do it at a park where it's more surrounded by like low-income housing and housing projects. And this was intentional. I wanted people to come out who are the most acutely affected by government and its successes and abuses, and who are, in my experience, the most receptive to hearing a message that what they already know to be true. No one who is in office is gonna give you anything you want. They're just gonna keep making your lives harder. And so what was cool was I invited q and A. I I would usually at my events... The down ballot candidates or whoever came out to, to open for me, they'd give speeches a few minutes long. Then I'd come out and give like a five, 10 minute speech. And then I'd spend like an hour to an hour and a half on q and A. I I try to answer at least like 10, 15 questions if I could. And the reason for that was because, A, I wanted to show that we actually have answers for things. And B, I wanted to engage the people who showed up, said, wow, that speech sounded good. But what do you think about this? Because if I show up and give a great speech and then I get on the bus and you never hear from me again... I've lost you. Not only are you not going to vote for me, you're not going to join the party, you're not going to get involved at the state level or the local level. And that was my main thing. I want you to vote for me. But more importantly, I want you to join the party. I want you to engage with other libertarians here. I want you to see that we have answers. And so that's why I focused on that. So what I saw overall was people who, you know, they're they're feeling it as bad as anyone else. In some cases, you know, they were feeling it the worst of anyone here, The, the lockdowns, the pandemic itself you know, just the the skyrocketing cost of living, um, you know, being victimized by the war on drugs, occupational licensing, all the things that we often don't think about when we think about, you know, uh, abuse by government, we think of the Fed or taxes or the wars or something. But we don't think about the fact that if you don't make more than a certain amount per year, you can't legally operate a business because you can't afford to start one. And that was what I heard about more than anything on the trail.
0: Really? So that was my next question is, what were the top issues? Like, I suspect lockdowns may have been up there, but like, what were the top things that people said? This is where government is hitting me the hardest
1: lockdowns, healthcare specific to the pandemic. But honestly, a lot of times they'd say what I would say, which is we didn't need this pandemic to tell us that our healthcare system sucks. Um, But yeah, the lockdowns, the, uh, the pandemic itself um, and, and healthcare questions related to that. Um, higher education was a big one. I had a lot of students come out asking, you know, what are you going to do about these, you know, loans? And what are you going to do about the cost of higher education? Um, and then people who were just harmed by government in various ways, uh, a lot of people with occupational licensing. That's something that libertarians talk about. We don't realize how big of a thing that is in lower income communities. And some of that is because a lot of us aren't lower income, uh, or, or we're either working class, middle income, or we're, you know, upper middle class. Uh, a lot of us, or, or not as many, of us are like poor poor we might be lower middle income but we're not like poor poor where if where there's a lot of entrepreneurialism in those communities but they can't get ahead because the police are there all the time and they're looking to see who's you know being a plumber illegally or who's Mm. cutting hair illegally and they use civil asset forfeiture thanks to uh, joe biden to go in and take all their stuff Um, So that was a big one. Um, People that had been victimized by the war on drugs was another huge one. Uh, People that would come to me with with these... Terrible stories about how they, you know, had a, a, a meth or, or heroin habit or something like that. Usually because uh, they got cut off from their from their, you know, legally prescribed pain pills after they hit a certain limit. So thanks to the war on drugs, they ended up a heroin addict or, or a meth addict or something like that. Then they start selling to be able to afford it. Then they end up in prison. Then they end up continuing to be addicted because you can still get it in prison. They come out with all this debt that they're sitting on. They, uh, you know, for all the fines that they that they weren't paying and all the interest. That built up. So now they're sitting on a bigger debt than most people who have a mortgage. Um, their credit is ruined. Uh, they, uh, you know, they, they they have a felony record, so they can't get anywhere. So I mean, just horrific stories. And all I could say to them is, I'm so sorry, but do know that this is what we're fighting for. When we can get into positions of power and influence, one of the first things we plan to do is to dismantle this kind of stuff and give you your clean record back so you can try to reclaim your life. Um, so it, there were times where I felt powerless in a way, because all I could say to them is, I'm so sorry, and know that we're fighting for you. But when I would see the hope that they would feel that at least someone was out there fighting for them, it made me realize that even if right now we aren't in a position to be able to actually change those things, the first step is to letting people know that this problem exists, and that we need to fight it. And then the next step is actually being able to do it.
0: That's one of the things that I liked the most about your portion of the campaign that I saw you doing you know, going to BLM rallies, for instance. I mean, my experience yep. with the pat-down and the pat-down audience, which is largely people of color, it's people who um, are on the left, it, it has changed me in a way where where I realize now, like, the libertarianism that I've talked about forever, that right libertarianism and the Ron Paul vein, I mean, I'm not smirching any of that, was very much... Um, intended for the birds of the same feather (laughs) and i had a particular blind spot
1: especially in the way that we message it yeah that's a big part of it because we're messaging to ourselves go ahead
0: right it is very selfish you know and so like i watch milton Friedman, and i'm like i love milton friedman because that speaks to me right like that speaks to the son of a small business owner who grew up Mm -hmm. in in a high income household like you know white uh What I was impressed with in your campaign was a template, and I see this in Justin Amash too, a template for libertarianism that doesn't have that same blind spot, that looks at marginalized communities, people of color, and says, we're with you too. We're not here to ignore you for our own sake. I mean, was that an intentional thing, or is that just where your heart is? You go into a town, you're like, I want to go to the – poor part and talk to to different people i mean um and what are your thoughts on how we message on a broader scale moving forward
1: my it was intentional and not just for a specific demographic i wanted to talk to the people who were the most acutely affected by the things that we know are harmful coming from government if we as libertarians recognize whether we're minarchists, anarchists, whatever, if we recognize that the government is largely an agent of harm, or at least the way it's configured now is largely an agent of harm. And if we're able to look at data that shows us that there are certain people who are in communities that are disproportionately harmed by that, by those abuses and excesses of government, then not only is it, in my mind, uh, a, I guess, sort of a a moral obligation, I don't like saying moral obligation, but not only is it not only do I feel most drawn to the person who is the most acutely affected by this because they're the one suffering the most but from just a pure marketing and strategy standpoint when I go into housing projects to do door knocking tours, when I have a, a bus set up in the middle of a, of a low income neighborhood that has housing projects there, I don't have to convince them that big government is bad. They already know that. They may not call it big government, but they know that, what, that the, the status quo and how it is growing is hurting them. When I go into comfortable middle class, largely white communities, I have to spend time convincing them that things aren't doing that well often. Now, that's before the lockdowns. With the lockdowns, now everyone's feeling things in a much more acute way. Prior to that, you talk to the average person that's, you know, that is the demographic that often comes to libertarianism, you're having to spend a lot of your time having to convince them that there's a problem in the first place, right? But if I'm talking to someone who is, in some cases has reached a point where they feel like their only option is to literally walk out into the street and express their anger and rage, then I already don't have to disabuse them of the notion that Joe Biden's going to fix anything for them. I already don't have to disabuse them of the notion that government is actually there to help them. All I can do is either engage them or continue to ignore them because they don't talk the way I do. And and express things the way I do, leaving them open to authoritarians who are more than happy to pander to them and more than happy to to say, hey, you know what the problem is, is the wrong people are in charge. We're going to make this program even bigger so that you can be helped by it. If that's the only person talking to them, then what what makes you think they're not going to continue voting that way, especially when the inertia was already there to begin with for them to vote that way in the first place? We absolutely have to do that. And the outreach, not just to marginalized communities, but across the board, here is the blueprint empathize with your audience understand where they're coming from demonstrate that you give a crap about them and build whatever rapport you can primarily by asking them questions when i did my q and a i would often start asking them questions because a i'm finding out stuff about them and b they are subconsciously building a relationship with me whether they like it or not because we're actually having a conversation and their lizard brain is saying this person wants to know what i think about stuff from there you you relate back that you understand where they're coming from. Then you explain how we got here, what, what policies led to the problems that they just expressed. And then you can take them on the journey for how to fix it. But you can't do that without empathizing with them first. You can't do that. There's an old phrase in marketing. No one cares what you know until they know that you care. If I haven't shown this you know, poor black person or, or, or it's not, or not even poor, but if I haven't shown this person in front of me who has no idea who the hell I am, I came into their neighborhood with a bus and came out wearing a shiny suit and I start talking and and a bunch of people are there cheering me on. If I don't demonstrate to that person that I give a crap about them, more likely than not, they're going to go, oh, uh, it's just another politician. I don't care what they have to say. And they're going to shut down, and anything I have to say is going to, at best, they'll ignore it. At worst, they'll cherry-pick the parts they don't like and use that to explain why they don't like me. You have to show that you care about them.
0: I find this on both ends. I mean, we we turn people off. Like, uh, when it comes to elites, like when I'm talking to <laughs> local elites and I'm talking about people that are incredibly wealthy with, with tremendous networks of power... Mm-hmm they'll tune into a libertarian thing and just hear railing against the elites and populism. And they just kind of go, "Okay, well, they 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 don't get it. And then on the other end, you know, poor people will tune in and hear, well, you know, they just want free stuff. You know, their welfare, that that sort of attitude. And they're just
1: a bunch of socialists. Right. They
0: right. And when in reality, it's like. Woody is a guy that that I've known forever. His daughter died. She sold two OxyContin pills, went to prison for 16 years, had a complicated blood disease. Listeners heard her story about three or four months ago. Uh, And Woody is just this blue-collar guy who had absolutely no contacts in government or media. And had no idea what to do. Didn't even a year later know how his daughter died. Right. And so, because I picked up the phone because he saw Rupert empathizing with him in the debates in 2012,
1: yep, yep. I was able to
0: get a nurse to tell him how his daughter passed, help him get a lawyer, help him sue the state. He helps. Wow. He's, he's setting the foundation for getting Horizon out of this state. Like I helped get him into positions, uh, into networks of power with my contacts. Like, it's taking somebody who is starting from nowhere and moving them to a different place. And, like, that's the benefit of the Libertarian Party, in my mind, and, and what we ought to focus on is how can we leverage positions, even though the Libertarian Party, we all sit here and go, they have no power, it's worthless. It's I've not seen that in Indiana. What I've seen is people like Mark Rutherford and Brad kloffenstein and myself, to some extent, Evan McMahon, like... They, we have ingratiated ourselves and moved into these networks of power, and then reach out to marginalized communities and help become a bridge. Like we'll I really think that that is that is one future role for the Libertarian Party, and that's one thing that I see you doing so well is appealing to a broad coalition of people and saying we can be the bridge.
1: I agree, I, and and that's the only way you can do it. I definitely would say my message in the way that I message it to most audiences tends to lean on the populist side. But I also make a point of saying our problem isn't millionaires. This isn't the 99% versus the 1%. Most of the 1% are people that have not that much more access to you know big levers of power than the rest of, of, of the country does. They just have nicer stuff and, and more financial security. But they're not really powerful. This is the 99.99% versus the 0.001% that we're talking about here. This is about a relative handful of incredibly powerful multi-billionaires who have a vested interest in creating this gravy train system that that they benefit from at the direct expense of literally everyone else. So, no, I'm not here to you know uh, to to give people a hard time because they have a nice house and three cars or or, or say that they're part of the problem. And that That's where a lot of, you know, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, populist messaging often goes, is it attacks like it has us, we're still fighting against each other. Now you're fighting, instead of fighting against your neighbor that's across the street, you're fighting your neighbor that's over there in a gated community. And, 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 And in reality, that person may not be suffering as much as you are, but they're not really responsible for what's happening this is happening as a result of a system that was created by incredibly powerful people. And we do need to break down the gravy train and we do need to give the power back to the people. Uh, But that's not at the expense of, of people who probably are very hardworking and honest and have, have also just, you know, built success for themselves. I I don't think you have to choose between one or the other. Uh, I I agree with you that a lot of times libertarians pretend that we have absolutely no access to power or influence. Uh, If that were the case, we wouldn't have been able to get on a bus, we wouldn't have been able to afford a bus, we wouldn't have been able to have, you know, interviews on any kind of national media, or we're not as big as the Republicans or Democrats. And there are certainly corporate interests that have a vested interest in not in not platforming us, And we definitely do have to continue to work to build our own network on the grassroots level out, outside of what they're doing, so that eventually they, they can ignore us. But uh, that's completely different than saying that we can't start doing things in the meantime, especially at the local and regional level. There are cities where libertarians are increasingly dominating because they have good ground game in those areas and are able to get their their uh, uh, initiatives passed, get their candidates elected and things like that. And, and you mentioned culture of winning my show. What I am focusing on is getting, talking to elected libertarians across the country to see how they did it, what their challenges were, how they overcame those challenges, and then build a blueprint for how libertarians can win elections across the country, especially at the local and regional and statewide level, and to kind of demystify the idea of libertarians getting elected in the first place. And the more of that that happens, and having the party be 50% larger than it was this time last year is a great way to help towards that. And I'm going to work to continue to help grow the party at the grassroots level moving forward. The more people we have, the more people we can run, the more people that we can get into positions of, of power and influence, the more that we can begin to actually show how our ideas work, which helps bring in people that don't just want to hear about it. They want to actually see how it works.
0: Why did you start the show, The Culture of Winning?
1: So after the election, I think there's a difference between finding perspective and and focusing on where where the good things were and where the bad things were, and just looking at it with rose-tinted glasses. And I had a lot of people who and and they're people that I very much res- love and respect. It's it's nothing personal against them. I had people who came and congratulated me for getting 1.2, percent. They said, "Hey, congratulations!" And I said, "For what?" And they said, "Well, you uh you you got more uh you got more votes uh, than any other candidate uh, during a presidential reelection cycle." Okay, what else? Uh, you uh, got the second highest number of votes we've ever gotten and you spent less money per vote than any other candidate. And also you came in third in all 50 states and you, the, the gap between you and the Green Party widened. And I said, okay, that's good. But then when I would try to talk about where we where we could have done better or where we outright failed in some cases uh, or where we should have done more of, of good, I was told, no, but when you really think about it, this was the best we could do. And I thought- Yeah, no, that's a problem because, A, this is unacceptable – the fact that we are reliant on factors that largely have nothing to do with us or our campaign or our party or anything we did to decide whether we get 1% or 3% just shows that we need to focus on growing and winning so that we can actually start to have, a, you know, have some level of position in in larger races. But also an inability or a refusal for coping reasons to look at what we could have done better is a good way to continue failing. And, you know, we are in... I believe that we need to end the era of losing admirably. And so what I am, what culture of winning is about is saying, let's stop talking about licking our wounds on how we lost. Let's focus on where we're winning and see how to do more of that. Instead of focusing on what major media didn't let us do or what the the Commission on Presidential Debates didn't let us do or what ballot access laws didn't allow us to do or what the Republicans and Democrats and corporate media didn't let us do, let's talk about people who said, I'm running for office, I'm a libertarian, and the voters went, okay, we're voting for you, and they won. And let's see how we can duplicate that, because I guarantee you, if we drill it down enough and we build a strong enough blueprint, then what what gets someone to win in their school uh, board or their water preservation district or their city council or their county council or their mayoral race or whatever, or state legislative race, can also work for a race for Congress. It can also work for a race for Senate or governor when scaled up. You apply those same principles and bring people in. You can now win any race, but you have to look at how you succeeded and build from there. If you keep looking at where you failed and just try to look for well, but if you think about it, that was really a win, right? So, like even when we were talking about where we went right, we did great on uh, on bringing people in, and we did great on uh, on um, on on you know helping grow local affiliates and helping down ballot candidates. But the reality is, our messaging, our messaging discipline could have been a lot better. We should have focused on two or three things and hammered those away all day long instead of trying to run the full spectrum of libertarian ideas in a a media environment where they weren't really paying much attention to us anyway. We didn't have time to say, hey, this is our big thing. This is what we're focusing on. That's a big change. Now, would we have won? No. Would we have gotten 5%? Probably not. But we might have gotten two. Might have gotten two and a half.
0: Well, there there would be some clarity. I mean, I do appreciate that... Walking away, and I've complimented you on this because walking away from that campaign, you know, you look back at Harry Brown's campaign, there's a wide variety of messaging that that stands the test of time. Gary Johnson there's nothing, right? Like Bob Barr's been erased yes. from the internet, right? So you know, the the presidential campaign is largely a marketing campaign, and, and it is a good way to explain libertarian ideas because it's the yes. only time in my life any of my friends and family actually care about libertarianism, right? It's the one time they ask me, what do you think? But just from a pure discipline campaign point of view for clarity's sake, because people are paying such little attention, why was there the decision to go wide like that and you know, why, why do you think that that isn't the right path?
1: I think that libertarians in general have a problem where, and I, I've something I had to disabuse myself from and, 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 Apply what I learned in nearly twenty years of of running a successful business, and say, "Hey, why don't I start doing what I did for twenty years instead of what I do as a libertarian when I talk about libertarianism?" When someone tells you what is libertarianism, we often get into what could be a twenty or thirty minute long diatribe about property rights and self ownership and and uh, you know uh, individual autonomy and the uh, non aggression principle and all these things instead of saying something in a fifteen to twenty second time span that makes them go, "Huh." Okay, cool. But what about this? And then you can have that conversation. So I think what we were doing is just naturally what libertarians were doing. And By the time I realized that there needed to be a correction, and I started doing it on my side, it it was honestly too little, too late at that point. It was, it was. We were going into September, and you know, it would have been good initially for us to be hammering away on the things that people were uh, pick three things that people were talking about. So basically, the lockdowns, the pandemic, and healthcare. Questions related to the pandemic, and especially during the summer, uh, police brutality and uh, and 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 the the protests and all of that stuff. That if we talk primarily about that. Not ignoring those other things, but simply focusing on that. And if someone asks us a question about the other things, we can answer that, but then try to bring it back to what everyone else was talking about. We do not have the position that Donald Trump had where we can tweet something and now everyone's talking about that. We are small enough where we have to go with what everyone else is talking about. And the only way that we can effectively do that is by going in there with a bold message that is completely different than what anyone else is saying and get people to go, wow, that's that's a good point. I wonder what they think about this. That's what we should have done. And we, I, think, I think it was more just, this is what libertarians do. People say, what's libertarianism? And we go, do you got an hour? And then we start telling them all this stuff. And, and, and the problem with that strategy from a campaigning standpoint is you are using limited time To spread a bunch of different messages that often are going to confuse people. So people are going to get lost in the whole, you know, whole, you know, oh, well, this is what they think about guns. This is what they think about the war. But what about the thing I care about? And if someone's already predisposed to trying to find a reason to write you off so they can vote for one of the lesser evil parties, the very second day, and we saw this, how many times do we see this where someone would go, I agree with Joe and Spike on everything except this. So I'm voting for Biden or I'm voting for Trump. And if instead we had just laser focused on the things that they actually cared about and gave them a strong and, and engaging and empathetic and bold and dynamic libertarian message for that, then from there we could have done a lot a lot better and we could have focused our attention to get that media attention.
0: The yeah, media I,
1: wants something viral.
0: I, I often, and this is being around it for a long time, like libertarians don't realize how often they function from insecurity. And one of the things that I like yep. about sort of what's happening right now is a growing confidence from, it starts with messengers and podcasters and candidates, and then it starts to spread out into the grassroots. But, you know, libertarians swing violently from like insecurity to overconfidence. And we're going to win this because everybody <laughs> in my life has told me they're voting for me to the day after the election. This is all hopeless. Why did I do this to, you know, to, uh, I need to tell everybody everything to, we need to focus on one thing. And like, there's not a level and there's never going to be consistency because it's just, of course, everyone's going to have
1: differences of opinion. Right.
0: But, but operating from insecurity, you know, gets you, well, Johnson failed in these ways. So we need a messenger like this. And so we need somebody who understands it perfectly. And then, oh well that didn't work now we need to get somebody like this and like it's that constant like swing from where we failed last instead of looking at like you just did which is you know working in radio there's an old saying in radio when you are sick and tired of hearing that advertisement or song for the that someone is hearing it for the first time like repetition is the key to all of it and in a campaign right like I want to build the wall I want to lock her up I'll vote for him I want unity. I don't want to deal with this problem of the orange man bad anymore. I'll vote for Biden. Like nobody knows what Joe Biden really stood for other than I'm not Trump.
1: Stop Donald Trump. Right. Stop Donald Trump. And Donald Trump ran on uh, in 2016, you know, lock her up. Build the wall, like literally three word. Fr- and and yeah. if you and, and it was frustrating, you'd ask a Trump supporter, "Well, how's he going to do it?" Well, he's a billionaire; he'll figure it out. In other words, I don't care how he's going to do right. it. He said he's going to do it, and I like those things. So we needed to focus on on that. And, and this is just general messaging in general. You have to go where your audience is, meet them where they are, and then bring them to your side. That's how leadership works: is by going out. And showing by example how things can, can, can work and how things are, are able to work better the way that you want to. That's messaging, that's leadership, that's sales, that's everything rolled up into how to be successful. Now, it's good for us to learn from our failures. But I think we often cycle between, like you said, cycle between we're going to win this time to, oh my gosh, we didn't win because this, this, and this, let's never do that again. And, or going the other way and going, well, if you think about it, we really, we kind of won sort of in, in a, in a really special way. My thing is this, we can learn from our mistakes, see what we did right, see what we did wrong and change it. I would like to focus when we have lost so much, when we have When losing at the federal level is our status quo, 100% of the time we lose at the federal level. Why won't we look where we win a good bit of the time at the state, at the city, and the regional, and sometimes at the state level and say, hey, this stuff's working. Let's do more of that. And let's figure out how to scale it up. And let's bring people into libertarianism who go, oh, uh, libertarians running for president. Well, we have that libertarian city council person and and she makes a lot of sense. So, you know, I, I think I, I might consider it or I at least want to listen to that. We have to grow from the bottom up. We are not going to get the favors necessary to win from the top down. It's just not going to happen. We could pick a look at, okay, Kanye West is a billionaire who everyone knew and he got like 70,000 votes. Okay. <laughs> you have to have the infrastructure in place. Yeah. We could find the most charismatic billionaire genius who everyone knows and loves and we're not going to win if we don't have the grassroots infrastructure in place. Machine politics whether you like it or not is how you win at the national level. So let's build it at the local level and build something that eventually reaches a point and it can happen quickly, it can snowball quickly where They have to include us in the debates because we're every bit as much of the story as anyone else's. They have to include us in the polling because they'd look like idiots if they didn't. They have to include us in their stories because everyone's already talking about us. This is how you are able to grow into something that can win. And it's not easy, but it can happen quickly. But we have to do the work. And that's that's what I've been focusing on pretty much since the day after the election is find the baselines for what we did right and what we did wrong. Start talking to people about how they actually did it correctly, where they either won their race or like in a case of Don Rainwater did exponentially better than anyone else has ever done in their position and then build out from there. How do we continue to build on these successes?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a, Record number of candidates coming two years from now, and they're already working hard. And it comes just from building on success after success. And I agree. I think we focus too much. I I don't know if you saw this, but I have a suspicion that Facebook libertarianism and libertarian movement are much different than the grassroots libertarians that you were talking to the concerns and the strategies are different. And the people quite that are about, out working in the field are not necessarily the people that you're talking to online that self-identify as
1: libertarians. A quite a bit different. and I mean there is some overlap, um, but it's nowhere – the black-pilled anger that you see on social ma- media it is not out there doing the hard work. These are the people who are either – have given up on the whole thing. That, that that are on social media, you know, the, the, the professional uh uh cynic. anxiety-ridden, angry libertarian, cynic libertarian, they either have given up on the whole thing or they're just looking to poo-poo it for everyone else and 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 look for a reason to either vote Republican or just not vote at all and to try to discourage other people from doing it. These are people that want to steal other people's joy and and hope and 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 try to waste their time arguing on the internet. I would. I, it was very freeing during the campaign because I was very rarely on social media because I just didn't have time. I mean, I, I was doing two events a day, sometimes two states a day. Uh, and um, so I had my social media team doing stuff. I would occasionally go on there and look at the comments and go, Oh yeah, that's what the internet's like. And then I would go right back to do it. I would go back to campaigning. And again, I wasn't just around I wasn't in an echo chamber. I wasn't just around people that already agree with me. I was actively looking for people who had never heard of libertarianism. I was going into neighborhoods where they'd show up and be like, uh so are you going to give us free health care or what what's the story and i love talking to them and giving them that that answer and they would often walk away saying wow yeah no that's great i agree with that many of them signed up Uh, i'd like to think that i i made at least a little bit of a dent in that 50 percent increase just by what i did on the ground it was such a stark difference between the the i guess black-pilled libertarians uh who just want to crap all over everything nothing good comes from that they're not being constructive they're just tearing stuff down because they themselves feel and we have to empathize with them to an extent they are angry they are seeing everything fall apart around them they are watching the vast majority of people cheer it on as it's happening and then they're watching the only you know group that's trying to do it often failing and they feel hopeless and they feel angry and they think that people who have any hope are stupid and they treat them that way and so I get where they're coming from and I hope that they can see that there is some actual hope, but we can't, we can't try to appease them there. There's not any pleasing them. They will maybe hopefully one day be happy when we succeed, but in the meantime, they're not going to be of any help. They just want to tell someone how much everything sucks. And and that's not how we're going to be able to, 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 to win and to, and to grow.
0: Yeah. Well, one of my criticisms, I mean, we didn't even get to it, so we won't jump into it, but, uh, you know, as a person that's fairly close to anarchism and anarcho-capitalism, like I'm, like one I'm one private versus public court away from adopting what you believe. I just find like less trust in libertarians after watching this past year, and anarchists specifically. That type of person you're talking about makes even me kind of go well, I don't know if my own ideas work if I have to like cooperate with you who seems so hellbent on not cooperating, (laughs) so angry, you don't even believe in the basic principles of the rule of law. So how can I trust you when we sign a contract together? Like, I mean, some of that has even shaken my like, I desperately love and believe in these ideas. And I'm looking at it going so I can't imagine what like Regular dude or madam out there who's just reading this stuff and watching my comments feed like going, oh, this is ugly. I don't think these people have a solution at all.
1: I talk about this a lot. We have the most empathetic message known to man when it comes to politics. We tell people that they own themselves. They should be able to have total autonomy of what they want to do and be able to choose who they want to work with and have every bit that's been stolen of all of their money and their power and freedom that's been stolen from them restored back to them so that they can thrive and prosper without the burdens being imposed upon them by incredibly cynical people who want to control them to their own aims. And then we often allow some of the crappiest messengers to be the ones to say it because the way they frame that message is no one owes you anything it sounds like you think that you are due yet you're entitled to my labor i guess you like slavery oh you got kids in school you so i didn't know you were a welfare queen like this is and 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 the problem with this way of thinking is it is people who are operating from hurt who are now causing harm and abuse to other people who look at that and go like you're even saying, I don't want to do anything with you. Yeah. I actually kind of hate you. Like not <laughs> only do I not like your ideas, but I'm actually okay with someone coming in and making you leave me the hell alone Right, because you sound so abusive. But we, ha- we have to remember that they're coming from a place of hurt. I often was, you know, I, I still can be a little snarky, uh, but I was often a lot more snarky than I am now. And then one day I realized you would never do this with your business. You would never cold call someone to try to sell them on a, on a web design package. And then, you know, the second they express any kind of disagreement, you just start crapping all over them and then hang up or just keep abusing them until they hang up on you and block your phone number. That's stupid. That, that's not how you reach people. One of the big things that I plan on doing, and it's something, you know, the working title is gold messaging, but it's basically just applying the tried and true ways to make friends and influence people to how to talk to normies about libertarianism. And so I've already started, you know, I'm going to be speaking at Gold Rush in, uh, in Alaska. Uh, I'm already booked for, gosh, I don't even remember how many state conventions, but that's what I'm going there to do. I'm not going there to just, you know, wave to adoring crowds. I'm, I'm going there to talk to them about, hey guys, here's where we are failing on messaging. We have the best ideas. We have the truth on our side. We have better ideas than Democrats and Republicans on the people, on the things that their voting bases care about. We're better than them on it. Why are we arguing? Why aren't we just empathizing with them and then expressing how our ideas work? And then when people go, yeah, but I don't know how I think about that, then engaging with them in good faith where you're primary purpose is for them to walk away feeling good about it and you planting seeds even you can't beat them into submission but what you can do is say oh you know what that's a good point i get what you're saying but you know here's my thought about it but i'm fine with agreeing to disagree i just you know we definitely need to fix things and that person walks away going well i don't agree with everything they said but man that was a nice conversation and whether they like it or not those ideas are are germinating and when you know they start seeing what's happening on the news and so forth they go you know what the libertarians said that would happen or, well, you know, that would make sense because what they said, or you can make them hate you and they will actively try to, you know, come up with intellectual reasons why everything that you say is wrong. It's our choice. And I think it's obvious which choice we need to take when it comes to anarchy. Cause I, I know we were to get into a major debate or anything like that. Here are my thoughts on anarchy. Cause I, I am an anarchist. People of faith. Christians, Jews, Muslims, most most faiths or at least most Abrahamic faiths believe that we should try to live sin-free, without any sin. But then we paradoxically recognize that everyone is with sin and that we're actually depraved. And so people that aren't in that faith or just a lot of people in general would say, well, what's the point if you if you recognize that everyone's depraved, why would you want to be why would you try to be sin free if you already know you're going to sin? And the answer is, there's many answers. Uh, I want to be closer to the ideal that my my creator set for me. I recognize that when I'm more sin free, I tend to live a better life as a result of my not hurting people around me. I I think it's the right thing to do, and it makes me feel better. All of these things, it's an ideal to push for. The way I think of anarchy is anarchy is not you know. We talk about the Rothbard button. If you could push the button to make government go away. Well, if you push the button to make government go away, everyone would turn around and go, what the hell did you just do? And they go back to building government. There is no Rothbard button. There is no snapping your fingers and making government go away. And even if you're able to reach a point where you can create individual anarchist societies, we may never get rid of the idea of centralization of, of, into coercive monopolies to try to fight against it. But the closer we are towards anarchy, The closer we are towards a society where people respect each other's boundaries and recognize their rights of of life and property and and, and freedom, the closer we are to that, the better off we are. And if we are able to eventually work that into a long-term sustainable society, all the better. If we're not, but we're closer, great. But it is not a, you know, people talk about, well, what's going to be an ancapistan? There's no ancapistan. It is being freer now then we are right being freer in the future than we are now. As an anarchist, I believe that all solutions come better from free people. There will always be bad actors, but the more you can decentralize power, the more you can make those bad actors just be jerks who can't hurt anyone. Hitler in a neighborhood is a bully. And a jerk that most everyone's going to ignore. A couple people may join him, and the rest of the community says, "Hey, you stay the hell off my yard, or will you'll, you'll never you'll never leave my yard." Hitler in a country ends up causing a world war and genocide with the that force of is, law. With the force of law and the power of centralization of power and, and, and force and influence into a coercive monopoly. So anarchy, in my mind, Donald is D- saying, Donald
0: Trump was just a lovable buffoon until yes. he became president, and then
1: now everybody yes. hates him. <laughs> Exactly. Joe Biden is a guy who nibbles on his wife's fingers. You give him power and we're about to see some really bad things happen over the next four years. It, it is the difference between someone being a dick and someone being, you know, a tyrant who, who causes immeasurable harm and suffering. So my idea for anarchy is we move closer. We, we, we recognize that the ideal is no coercion at all. And we move as far towards that as possible, working with anyone who recognizes that the better thing is towards closer to what we want than where we're headed you know the one issue i have with and i think what justin amash was trying to say is that there's a distinction between libertarianism and anarchism and he, he was also talking to people outside of the libertarian party saying well libertarians don't necessarily want no government but you know they want they want you know less centralized government and more decentralized government the problem was initially how he phrased it was it sounded like he was telling anarchists this is not your party we don't want you here we are in no position to tell anyone who wants us to work towards a better ideal than we have now that they're not welcome especially when many of them when, when that ideology was part of the foundation of the party uh, but but i i don't i don't know if he meant it that way he certainly seemed to have uh you know changed how he was saying it. So I think he was not meaning to do erasure or a purging, but we need to make clear that anyone who wants to move in the opposite direction of where we're currently heading is at least for now our ally. And while we are working together and coalitioning and being in alliances, we can have those nice discussions that lead us to a greater understanding of where we all stand. And that's, that's what my goal is. I'm an anarchist who has absolutely no problem working with minarchists, constitutionalists, uh, uh, small government, uh, tea party types, uh, social justice progressives who want to scale back, uh, you know, the war on drugs and, 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 you know, police brutality and things like that, you know, people across the political spectrum who want to end the wars and, and bring the troops home. We aren't going to agree on everything, but we recognize that something is wrong now. And we are not in a position to reject people who want to work with us.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, interpreted what he said as a definition. I mean, it was not intended. I mean, the guy's not gonna immediately like turn overnight and say only constitutionals are allowed in the libertarian movement. Like that's not his style. That's not what he's talking about. But I will say, as a more minarchist libertarian that literally every day go read any of the comments on our social media or my social media, I'm sorry you had that experience for the first time. (laughs) But that is the experience of people who who are more in the Milton Friedman camp every single day. And that's sort of... What, oh,
1: from anarchists? Oh, absolutely. oh I know. Yeah. Anarchists
0: yeah. are the biggest jerks. And so it makes a lot of people go, I don't want to be an anarchist because, you know, the Rothbardians are jerks, so I'll stick with the Friedmans. And then we have these tribes, and it's like I'm much more amenable to what you're saying and what we've tried to do here at We Are Libertarians where... You know, two anarchists and a constitutionalist and uh, whatever the hell Reinhold is are going to talk on Saturday.
1: <laughs> Democrat. You know, right.
0: <laughs> you know, like we're going to have I'm going to have uh, libertarian socialist Ryan Lindsay on later. And then I'm going to have, right. uh, you know, I had an I'm having anarchist spike going on today. Like what we've tried to do at Wall yeah. is just say everybody's efforts are valuable and important. But yes. I, I would say to my anarchist friends, I didn't have a ton of sympathy for you—not you, you Spike—but in general, if you're the type of person that doesn't want to work with people who want some government, you're not. It, it's it was it was sort of funny. It just sort of
1: made my, me laugh. My my anarchists who are watching this, okay, this is a man who just told you. That he is like a couple conversations about, you know, how private arbitration would work away from accepting anarchy. And the way that not all of you. Many of you are engaging him and others like him, you are pushing them away and it's coming from I know it, it's coming from a place of anger and behind that is from a place of hurt. You are watching terrible things happen and you are watching people calling themselves your your your, you know, uh, calling themselves, you know, fellow libertarians who are often proposing things that you find to be just an extension of that tyranny. If you do not engage with people, outside of our thought bubbles then you're never going to bring anyone else in uh, much or you're never going to be able to actually build any coalitions to get anything accomplished much less bring people in don't we want more anarchists don't we want more people who even if they're not anarchists go i'd be fine with you having an anarchist society and i'll have my minarchist society over here don't you want to have something closer to what we have now that only comes with coalitioning it's i'm a big fan of agorism as one of many strategies but agorism alone is not if it was going to work it would have already worked to dismantle things we have to have a full spectrum holistic approach to how we dismantle centralized power and that's going to come with building coalitions and alliances with people that we don't fully agree with and being kind to them
0: yeah or else i'll meme you All right, Spike, you've been more than generous with your time, and I They'll thank you They'll meme you so me much. anyway. That's a lie. That's They'll right. meme you anyway.
1: They're, they're memeing me, and I'm nice to everyone.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I love you, Spike, and I just think the world of you, and uh, I'm really uh, – you, you know what? Congratulations on this last election. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for being thank here. Thank you. I'd like,
1: to, Make- I'd like to thank everyone who helped. Make sure you check
0: out muddiedwatersoffreedom.com for Muddy Waters of Freedom, my fellow Americans, and the culture of winning podcasts. It's always a pleasure, and uh, thanks, Spike, and we will talk to you all again next week.